You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. Well, here's good news. My family received a tax return this year. Okay, so it's not a lot, but for us, it's a, it's a, it's a different thing for us to receive a tax return. Um, see, what people don't really understand about being a pastor is, as a pastor, you have to file as self-employed. So while there's a lot of ideas that float around out there in the culture, the misunderstandings that since churches are tax-exempt because it's a nonprofit organization, actually pastors are not considered employees of a church or anything like that, but you're considered self-employed. And so you actually are on a higher tax bracket. You pay more taxes than a, than a typical op- occupations do. And so... Actually, for the 30 years that my wife and I have been married and the 22 years I've been doing ministry as a pastor, we've hardly ever gotten a tax return. Actually, we've owed taxes. Um, actually, the basically, the tax return we did get for this year has gone to pay pa- back taxes. Um, but the thing is, this is the first time in 12 years that we got a tax return. And the reason why we got a tax return 12 years ago was because we had uh, we were first-time homeowners, for, and there was a, a tax break that was given at that time 12 years ago for first-time homeowners. And we got that, and so we got a little tax return back then. But it's been 12 years since we got a tax return. And anyway, the whole point of this is because... To go to the, the day my wife, Shelly, is filling out the, the paperwork and filling out our taxes... Um, I say what I say every year. Hey, maybe we'll get a return this year. And she says what she says every year. I doubt it. Every year we go through this. She says, uh, I, I say maybe we'll get a return. And she says, I doubt it. And she's like, like just because we just don't get tax return. Have you ever done that? Just just been filled with doubt that something is going to happen? That you just pretty much write it off as a done deal? Like, no way that's going to happen. You just have decided. Well, Jesus says there's a few things we're supposed to not do. Our question is, what do we do when we get tied up in those things anyway? One of those things is is doubt not, Jesus says. So, so when we hear that, I think my first thought is, wait, wait, wait. Does God really expect me to not have questions? Because I do. And and if I'm and if I'm being honest, I've actually got I've got some doubts here. I don't I don't I don't have any personally. I don't have any doubt about Jesus. Uh, I don't have any any doubt about his plan for my for for me and for us for humanity, uh, but there's others. I definitely have questions. I definitely have a doubt here and there about about life, about faith, and when so Jesus says doubt not. What's he really saying? So that's what I want to do. Is I want to dig into this 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 thing about about doubting not and see what Jesus really has to say for us and what we can see. He said to his disciples. And what we can take from that and apply to our own lives. So I'm going to be in Matthew 21, a short story about Jesus and his disciples. Matthew 21, beginning of verse 18. So let me set the stage for you, or kind of give you the backstory, or, or kind of here's what's happening. Um, it's the day after Palm Sunday. You know, Palm Sunday. It's the it's the it's the week of what we call Holy Week now. It's the week of where Jesus is going to be crucified on Friday. It's the week of the Passover, and on Palm Sunday, it's that Sunday where we have what was called the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, and people are shouting Hosanna and and waving palm branches and throwing their 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 cloaks down on the on the on the path so the donkey can walk across it into town. There's a lot of fanfare taking place, and then when Jesus goes into the 
the temple. He cleans it out. When I say he cleans it out, I mean there is a, a, a place in the temple called the outer court. And the outer court was the court of the Gentiles. In other words, all those people who wanted to come and worship Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the God of Israel, but they weren't Jewish, uh, or they weren't they weren't of Israel Israeli descent. They were only allowed in the court of the Gentiles. Now the court of the Gentiles or the outer court, they had set up uh, 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 merchants had set up selling sacrifices or what you would call money changers. They were they were there doing all kinds of business. They had turned it into a marketplace basically for those coming into the temple. And they and so those who were who were of all nations outside of the nation of Israel are Judah are Jews are, are the Jews, they had no place to worship. And so when Jesus turns over the temple tables and kicks these people out of the temple, he 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 quotes this thing this line you know my temples my are my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations and he's like all nations need to be allowed here so so that's happened and then he goes to Bethany which is a kind of a nearby town where his friends live. And he goes there and spends the night. He and his disciples go and spend the night with their friends in Bethany. And so this is where we pick up the story in Matthew 21, verse 18. It's the next day. In the morning, Jesus was returning. As Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, How did that fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, or doubt not, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. So Jesus says a lot here, right? And this is one of those places where... We see Jesus doing and saying some things that make us go, what? Uh, what? Trying to understand it. So so let me get our big idea, and then let's dig in a little deeper. And that big idea is this. Answers to our big questions are found through faith in Jesus. Maybe sounds super simplistic. That's why I kind of want to kind of break it down and build upon that for the next few minutes that we have together. Answers to our big questions are found through faith in Jesus. So... To start this off, let me let me start with this thought. There, there's going to be hard times. There will be hard times. We don't like it. We may try to avoid it, but there's going to be hard times. Like, you know, going through this pandemic that we've been through with COVID-19 here in, in 2020 and, you know, these restaurants having to uh, initially close. The only thing they could do was some uh, curbside, like if you want to get takeout or if, you, or if they had a drive-thru, you could do that. But there were no in reading inside of restaurants, at least where we live, for about two months. You couldn't go inside a restaurant to eat. And uh, we were driving down the road, and we passed McDonald's. Now, we don't. my family doesn't eat at McDonald's. It's not that we're, definitely it's not that we're too good for fast food, because we eat fast food. We just choose to eat at the other place right across the street. Um, and we just have this thing where, why? Because, well, we just, you know, mom and I don't like McDonald's. Well, my son Jericho, who's 10 now, this is a couple uh, a couple months ago uh he says he sees mcdonald's as we go by and we've been we've been talking about the conversation's been about that we can't go into restaurants and eat anymore we have to get a drive-through and to bring it home to eat and he's like if, if no one goes to mcdonald's they'll have to close and i don't want them to close mcdonald's is my friend even if we don't like them 
Hashtag stuff Jericho says. And, and I'm like, man, he was concerned about hard times. McDonald's is my friend, even if I don't like them. I don't want them to have to close, even though we're not going to eat there. We don't want them to have to close. Hard times. Is, now, is there any way to avoid the reality of hard times? And we know that there's not. <coughs> Often, we attempt to see if we can avoid the reality of hard times. So our story begins with Jesus. And his followers, they're hungry. They're hungry. There's a, there's a fig tree here. It's not bearing fruit. The road is long. The trail is dusty. The fish aren't biting because these guys are fishermen, right? The fish aren't biting. It's hot. Oh, my gosh, it's hot. And you're hungry. And you woke up this morning and your, your host didn't even fix you a Pop-Tart, much less biscuits or gravy. And you're hungry. It's Monday. It's a Monday. And not only is it Monday, it's the Monday of the week of your crucifixion. And this fig tree has no fruit? Hard times. That's what it is. It's hard times. So it seems that in this region at the time, the fig tree, this particular fig tree, was a favorite. There's different types of fig trees, and this was a favorite. And one of the reasons they're a favorite is because they produce two crops of fruit each year. Once once about June, and another time uh, in about September. They produce two crops of fruit each year. So if we're tracking with the timeline in Passover, this would have been about on our calendar today, what we call April. And so the figs weren't even supposed to be ripe yet. So why is Jesus cursing them? Why does Jesus tell them, you're going to wither up and, and you will not produce fruit ever again? Well, it's because figs are a symbol. They're not just, they're, it's not just about the figs. It's not just about the hunger for food. It's about a deeper hunger. And figs are symbolic. And all through the story of God and the story of his people, in what we call the Old Testament, figs have been a symbol of prosperity and goodness. The prosperity and goodness of God. The prosperity and goodness of Israel. And in many cases, when you read about figs in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, they represent Israel, the, the nation, the people of God. Um, our grapes and grapes and figs often mentioned together. Actually, a couple of examples. One is Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. Hosea writes, and this is God speaking through the prophet Hosea. Long ago, when I came upon Israel, it was like finding grapes out in the desert. When I found your ancestors, it was like finding a fig tree bearing fruit for the first time. So God is like, this is... You know, when I have this again, this relationship with you, it was like fresh and it was good and it was delicious. <laughs> so the significance of Hosea's words is that God's delighted in Israel, and that during the time of Hosea, the people were turning back to God. They were they were recommitting themselves to the, to Him as a nation. The people had turned from God, and now as a nation, they were turning back to God. Now this is about seven hundred and twenty years before Jesus. And so this is part of the history, part of things that part of part of the things that his disciples would know about. So when he approaches this fig tree and this situation happens and the conversation ensues, I believe they're going to know this is about more than fig tree because fig trees are symbolic to us. Now, 
Look at this passage from Micah, another prophet. Micah 7, 1, he writes, how miserable, how miserable I am. I feel like the fruit picker after the harvest who can find nothing to eat. Not a cluster of groups, not a cluster of grapes, or a single early fig can be found to satisfy my hunger. Now, Micah's time, where he, when he existed, when he wrote, was about 700 B.C. before Christ. Uh, and so just 20 years after the word of Hosea. So in just 20 years, the leaders of the people, even the religious leaders, were not in a right relationship with God. They were bowing in worship to idols of false gods. And right alongside their, their offerings and sacrifices to Yahweh, the God who identifies himself as the one and only they were worshiping other gods and had idols. So Jesus is teaching his disciples something important about what God is doing in their world. Israel, the people of God, were like this fig tree. Another interesting thing about this type of fig tree, the fruit, the leaves, and the blooms, all appear at the same time. So, so it's not like our, our, our fruit tree. Like fig trees here are, are fruit trees that we are familiar with. The leaves come out. Then they bloom, and then after they bloom, the fruit begins to grow. Well, this particular fig tree that has leaves and blooms and fruit all kind of come at the same time. And so it gives the appearance here. This, 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 this fig tree has leaves. So it gives the appearance of having an early crop. It's not time for the figs to be ready yet, but it's not time for the leaves to be ready yet either. And so since it has leaves, it's giving the appearance that it has fruit, where in actuality it is not bearing fruit. The tree isn't punished for having no fruit. The tree is punished for being false. Proclaiming by its leaves that it had fruit that it didn't. Jesus is saying, hey, this is Israel. This is Judea. This is Jerusalem. This is us. There will be hard times for you because you are seeking to be fruitful and the people who are supposed to be the people of God are false. So the reality of the covenant of God with Israel is that the nation was the nation of chosen people. God's chosen people. Chosen for a reason. That from Israel would come one we call Messiah, God's appointed Savior, God's anointed Savior, who would bless all nations. This is Jesus. He had come, and as a nation, they had failed to receive him. And they were just days away from declaring, when Jesus is on trial, declaring to the Roman governor named Pilate, we have no king but Caesar, and having Jesus crucified. And Jesus is saying, this fig tree, this is where we're at right now, you guys. He's telling his disciples, this is where we are. Jesus reminds us that even with faith in him, we're not immune to hard times. So, I want to encourage you, through everything, hang on to faith. Through everything, there's going to be hard times, but through everything, hang on to faith. I love this. Faith is not blind. Faith, faith is not a, a, a leap, a blind leap into the dark. Faith is a leap into the light. Faith is blessed assurance that where my feet may fail and fear surround me, you've never failed me and you won't start now. Faith is Christ alone, the cornerstone. He's the solid rock. How great is our God? That's, that's where faith takes me. Faith is I see the king of glory coming in the clouds with fire. Your grace is enough. And faith says, through it all, 
we believe. Or as the 20, 20th century poet, songwriter put it in pop music, you got to have faith, the faith, the faith. <laughs> so how do you hold on to faith during hard times? Maybe it's maybe it's with humor. Maybe it's with with yeah, with other people, like in the in the presence of others in relationship. You hold on to faith through hard times because you realize you're not alone. Maybe it's scripture. Maybe maybe for you it's like I I continue and hold on to faith through hard times because I read the Bible and in those pages I find things that lift me up and encourage me and help me to press on. Well, the disciples were amazed when they saw what Jesus did with his fig tree. They were amazed, as the scripture says. And, the, and it's, this was originally written in Greek. And when you look at the Greek word for amazed here, it's thaumadzo. And that means to admire with wonder. It, it, it means, In other words, it means woe. <laughs> woe. Like Jesus tells us, fig tree, you're never going to have fruit again. And the, the fig tree withers up. And they're like, woe, right? Could it be that, that faith is through everything we go through? We go through it without losing the woe of who Jesus is? Could that be what faith really is? I mean, they had they had witnessed Jesus walking on water. They had witnessed Jesus feeding thousands of people with a, a sack lunch. They, they, they had witnessed Jesus healing all kinds of diseases, even raising someone from the dead. You know, that Lazarus, where Jesus and his disciples went to spend the night in Bethany, it was at his house. They had seen this. And, and with every situation, they had woe. And here, in this moment, they still had woe of who Jesus is. So Jesus responds, If you hang on to faith and doubt not, you can say to this mountain, Be thrown into the sea, and it will happen. We often talk about this, right? The kind of faith that moves mountains. Let's have faith that moves mountains. We can move any mountain if we just have faith. Without taking the time to really see what Jesus was saying, here, he says, you can move this mountain. You can say to this mountain, be moved into the, and it will, uh, uh, be thrown into the sea, and it will happen. This mountain. So where is Jesus going? Going back to the temple. Where is the temple? It's on a mountain. It's called the, the Temple Mount. So he's on his way there with his disciples. They're walking up to it as they walk. He pat, they finished the fig tree thing, and he's like, you can say to this mountain, Jesus, there, Jesus would be accused of blasphemy. There, Jesus would be rejected. There on the Temple Mount is where his death would be planned. Is Jesus saying that if his followers hang on to faith in him and not the temple, that they could change the world dramatically in significant ways? They and we could carry out life-changing, culture-transforming acts of faith. I believe yes. The people saw the temple at this time as a symbol of their faith. Actually, they worshipped the temple and in many ways worshipped the temple over God. It's a symbol not just for the temple as a building, but the temple represents like the religion, like the the, the ways. It's a symbol for that. And, and and the people saw this as everything. The temple is everything. And Jesus is saying it could be cast aside. Faith that moves mountains is a faith in Jesus above everything. Faith in Jesus above religion, our, our political party, our affiliation. Uh, 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 faith in Jesus above my relationships. Faith in Jesus above how I have, you know, what denomination I, I'm connected with or what, you know, whatever. Faith that moves mountains, Jesus is saying, it's faith in Him 
above everything else because for them the temple was everything. You know, in the scriptures, there's a, there's another letter called James. James 1.6 says, When you ask, when you pray, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. We don't want to be double-minded, and we don't want to be unstable in all we do, right? So he says, when you go in prayer, don't doubt in prayer. Trust in Jesus above everything. That's what faith is. There's, there's where the faith comes from. Don't be like the waves of the ocean knocked back and forth. We sing a song called Oceans. And it says, I keep my eyes above the waves. That's how, that's how you, keep your, you keep your eyes above the waves because Jesus is above the waves that try to drag us down. Through everything, through all the hard times, hang on to faith. And in everything... Pray without hesitation. In every, through everything, hang on to your faith. And one of the ways you do that, and part of the main way we do that, is in everything, pray without hesitation. I had a young friend uh, a few years ago who was a part of a church I pastored. And his name was Riley. And Riley was like 13, 12 or 13. And we were in a conversation. I don't remember the context because it's been a while. And, uh, or, or as we say, it's been a minute. And uh, I remember, uh, I remember that Riley said, um, "I know for sure I'm going to heaven because I pray. I asked Jesus into my heart a billion times, and He's living the dream." <laughs> I remember that because I wrote it down. Yeah. And he says, "I know I'm sure I'm going to heaven because I pray. I've asked Jesus in my heart a billion times, and He's in there living the dream." See, he knew that he knew something. Prayer. Prayer was something that, that helped him to not doubt. It, it strengthened his faith. Somewhere along the way, though, we learned doubt. Here's this young, I don't know, 12 or 13-year-old young man. They say a child shall lead them, a childlike faith. He's prone, but somewhere we are prone to lose that faith of a child as we age. Now, the question is, do we need to unlearn doubt or do we need to relearn faith or both? Jesus says you can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. He's not talking to his followers about money. He's not talking about cars or, or, or houses or boats or education or even physical health. He's talking about a heart that's aligned with the heart of God. In prayer, faith is understanding God's will, so you won't have to pray or you won't be praying for something that's self-serving. That's what he says. You align your heart with God, and you pray and he will answer your prayer. You can ask for anything in prayer and, he, and, and it will be answered. Why? Because your heart is aligned with God. That's why. So I want to wrap this up with, with three aspects of prayer that can enable us to pray with that, this kind of faith. To understand these are three things about prayer. If we understand these things, if we really believe these, these things about prayer, then it will help us to pray the prayer of faith. The first one is this about prayer. Prayer is power. Prayer is power. Prayer is, is never an easy way out. Prayer isn't asking God to do something. Prayer is asking God to make us able. Prayer isn't seeking an easier path. Prayer is the way we receive power to take the hard way. Prayer is the channel which God empowers you to face and remove mountains of difficulty. Trusting with God all things are possible. That's the power that comes with prayer. 
whatever the mountain is that you may be facing, whatever the hard times are for you, trusting that with God all things are possible because of his power. Now, prayer is also peace. Prayer is peace. Prayer isn't necessarily meant to bring deliverance from a situation. It's meant to bring about the ability to accept the situation and to transform me in time. Prayer isn't a means of running away from a situation. It's the provision of peace whereby we can boldly face it. Prayer is peace as we go through the storms. And prayer is possibility. That's right, I gave you three P's, gave you a sermon. Power, peace, and possibility. Prayer is possibility. Prayer is, is it brings ability to bear with one another. <laughs> prayer, be it, whether it's a person or a situation, prayer brings the possibility, the ability that it's possible to bear with it. Because it's natural as humans to feel there are some things we just cannot bear in our humanness. I'm only human. I, I'm, I'm made of flesh and blood. That's it. Reality is, there should be some things we cannot bear. That we feel like we cannot bear. Prayer doesn't remove tragedy. Prayer doesn't necessarily allow us to escape the situation. It doesn't exempt us from taking action. Prayer makes us able to bear the unbearable and to pass through the breaking point and not break. That's prayer. And answers to our big questions are found through faith in Jesus. And it was when we come to him with the, this kind of faith and pray this prayer of faith with power, peace, and possibility that we find those answers. We find those answers. So what's your next step? I would say if you're going through a hard time right now, and we all are in some way probably, I would say, but if you're specifically facing some very unique, specific hard time, Pray. Pray with faith. Pray for power. Pray for peace. Pray with the, with the thing, with the, in your mind that through God all things are possible. That it is possible to pray pass through the breaking point and not break. Pray about that which you are struggling. And a good place to go in the scriptures to help us understand how to pray this kind of prayer is Ephesians 4, 14 through 21. Ephesians 4, 14 through 21. Maybe we should make this kind of our prayer. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us and, and lie so cleverly they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes us... The whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Lord, I pray that right now. I pray that over all who are listening, all who are are hearing this, this, this sermon, that our prayer would be that we would no longer be immature like children, that we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced by people who try to trick us with lies, even those that are so clever they sound like the truth. Lord, our, our, my prayer is that we instead will speak truth and love and grow in every way to be more and more like Jesus in every moment. He's the head. You are the head of the body, the church. You make the whole body fit together. As each part does its own special work and helps all the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy 
and growing and full of love. Lord, make us healthy and growing and full of love. Help us to have the faith, this faith, that moves those mountains. And maybe for us, we have the same kind of mountains your disciples are facing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.church or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AwakenChurchLA.